Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be turning to the Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, as we continue to make our way through this glorious book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, given to John there on the Isle of Patmos. We are in chapter 7, which is an interlude. Let me just remind us where we are. We believe that uh, there's been the rapture of the church. The church is talked about up through chapter 3. After chapter 3, the church is never mentioned again until the church comes with Jesus at the end at the second coming, victoriously. So we believe that after chapter 3, the church has been raptured. Chapters 4 and 5 are scenes in heaven that reveal what's going on in heaven. And there are the 24 elders, which we believe that we're a part of that. Those are the Old Testament and the New Testament who've been redeemed. And we're worshiping there at the, with the Lamb of God. And we're just experiencing all of the great things and glorious things that are happening in heaven. That's in 4 and 5. Begins in chapter 6 then is we find out in chapter 5 that the Lamb of God, who's Jesus, is worthy to break the seal. The sealed book, the seven-sealed book. And in chapter 6, he begins to break those seals. And he reveals six of those broken seals are the judgment of God that's coming upon the world. In chapter 8, we'll see the breaking of the seventh seal. But in chapter 7, it's an interlude, or parentheses. It is an explanation and it answers the question that was posed in the very last verse of chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 17, the question was asked, well, who can stand? Or in other words, who is going to be saved? Is anyone and can anyone be saved in the midst of this horrible tribulation? And chapter 7 then is the answer to that. It's a parenthesis, an interlude where where God reveals to John the answer to that question that was posed. Can anybody be saved? And last week we saw the first part of that interlude, and it revealed that there were going to be 144,000 Jews. You remember that? 12,000 from 12 tribes. And those 144,000 Jews in the midst of the Great Tribulation are going to be sealed with the Spirit of God. God is going to place His seal and His name upon them which means that they are his possession. It means that they are protected by him, and they also experience the anointing and power of him. And they're going to be anointed to be the great evangelist during the great tribulation. We talked about that. Can you imagine 12 Jews who were anointed with the Spirit of God turned their world upside down whenever Jesus left and the day of Pentecost happened? What are 12,000 times that going to get accomplished in those Days of the Great Tribulation. 144,000 Billy Grahams out there sharing the gospel of Christ. A worldwide evangelism in the midst of this great and horrible tribulation. So we know that there are 144,000 Jews that are going to be saved, going to be sealed, going to be anointed. And God is back using the Jews in his purpose and his plan of sharing about the Messiah. Well, the second part of that interlude is found here in chapter 7 verse 9. Second answer to that question. That's what it says. After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, 
and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd. And shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe every tear from their eyes. The second part of this interlude, John, I've shared with you before. John in his revelation and and what God is revealing to him and Jesus revealing to him is is though he's almost suspended between heaven and earth. It's almost that he has the opportunity to see what's going on in heaven and he sees what happens on earth. In this interlude, the first part is he saw what was happening on the earth. He saw where God held back the winds of judgment. And and he saw where these 144,000 Jews were going to be sealed with the Spirit of God. And that they're going to be busy and evangelizing the world. He's able to see what's happening in the world. Now, he is looking into heaven. Not only looking into heaven, he's looking into a future experience of heaven. And he's going to see something different. He's going to see something that has to do with the work of those 144,000 and the work of the Lamb of God in the midst of the great tribulation, answering that question again, but who can be saved? It's not only going to be the 144,000 Jews or Jews who are saved during the great tribulation, but there's going to be others who are saved. What is it that John saw? There's there in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, I saw... A great multitude. He saw a great multitude of people. It was such a great multitude which no one could count. It was such a multitude that no one could count them. There were so many of these people. And where were they from? They were from every nation. They were from all tribes and peoples and tongues. In other words, these weren't just Jews. These were people from everywhere. It includes all nations, but not only nations, it it includes the breakdown inside of those nations, those tribes, and it includes the breakdown even smaller than the tribes, 
the peoples. And it breaks down even that in regard to the languages or the tongue that they speak, the dialect of their own language in their own country. In other words, he says there's going to be a multitude of people who are going to be reached, a multitude of people that he sees that are going to be saved and going to be redeemed. And they're from every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue. He sees this vast multitude of people who have been one and will be one. And we'll find out here in the midst of the great tribulation. That's what it says where they are, what they look like. It says this. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they are clothed in what? In white robes. They are clothed in white robes. And what's in their hand? And palm branches are in their hands. We'll talk about those palm branches in a minute, what they represent as far as what it says their responsibility there in eternity is going to be before the throne of God. But what he sees is this great multitude of Jews and Gentiles who are going to be saved from every nation, every tongue, every people, this vast number of people who are going to be saved. And the reason they're standing before the throne of God and the reason they're there is because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And when they were washed, their robes have been made white. And that's a picture of purity and righteousness and acceptance. This is kind of a a looking in the future event of what he saw happening in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. You remember in 9 through 11, he saw the martyrs underneath the altar, those who had been martyred at that time, and said, Lord, when are you going to bring about revenge? When are you going to bring about the end? When are you going to judge those who have killed us for our faith? Well, that's what was happening at that particular time. Now he's seeing in the future these people who had been martyred, these people who had died, these people who had been washed the blood of the Lamb, these people who gave their life for their faith, where are they found? Standing before the throne of the Lamb of God. They are wearing white robes. They are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And listen to what they say. And they cry out, verse 10, with a loud voice. What do they say? Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why are they standing before the throne? Why do they wear those white robes? Because they have been saved. Salvation to our God and to the Lamb. Now, that doesn't mean salvation to him, but salvation comes from him. Salvation is from God, and salvation is from the Lamb of God. And the reason that they're saved is because of God's grace and mercy. And even in the midst of the great tribulation, the mercy of God shines forth because Jesus says that there are those who will be redeemed and those who can be saved and those who will become a part of the family of God. And salvation is from our God. Being saved is a good word. A few years ago, people said, well, that, we ought not use that word, being saved. I think it's a pretty good word when God uses it, amen? <laughs> Whenever you're lost, you need to be saved. And salvation is a good word. And the cry, listen, if you, if you don't think it's a good word, then you better wait because they're going to sing that in heaven, amen? That praise and adoration, that word, is salvation to our God. Salvation is from our God. Salvation is from the God, our God and The Lamb of God is how we're saved. Now, I want to tell you what I love about these pictures of heaven. I love what the angels do. Angels are ministering servants. And there are literally probably millions of them. I don't know how many, but God's got plenty. Amen? And God's got two times as many as the old enemy has. Remember, only a third of them fell. 
So he has all these ministering servants, and their total, their total purpose is to worship and adore the Lamb of God and to carry out his service and his ministry to us. Do you believe that you have angels ministering to you? Oh, yes, you do. You have angels who take care of you, who watch over you. You have guardian angels that God's placed over you, and they're at work all the time. Whenever you get to heaven one day, God's going to show you what your life would have been like without those guardian angels. He would reveal to you just how many times they protected you, how many times they watched over you. And you ought to thank God every day. Thank you, God, for angels who minister to me. Thank you, God, for angels who protect me. I thank you for that. These angels are ministering servants, and they're before the throne of God. And whenever they hear Jesus and God the Father get glorified by saying, You are our salvation, what do they do? They fall on their faces. (laughs) That's their response. Is to fall on their face before Almighty God. We might let the angels teach us a little bit about that, couldn't we? Teach us how to fall on our faces. I've told you before, just read through the Revelation, and you're going to have to get used to being on your knees if not on your face. Because the position that we have and, and where we have in, in our relationship to the Lamb in heaven is we're going to be on our knees, we're going to be on our faces before Almighty God. And the angels lead out in that. They fall on their faces, and then they say forth a doxology. It's interesting that the doxology begins with an amen at the beginning and an amen at the end. So be it. So be it. In agreement with Almighty God. In agreement with the statement that's been made. And what statement was made? That salvation is to our God and to the Lamb of God. And when those angels heard it, they fell on their face and they said, Amen. And then they give a doxology of praise. Listen to what it says about this this one. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God Forever and ever, amen and amen. What do they do? They're just saying everything that they know about God, everything they can think about God. Could I challenge you to do this week, I, something this week? I don't ever give you homework very much, but I, I gave you homework a few weeks ago. I asked you to get on your knees and pray. I don't know how many of you remember to do that. But we asked you about getting on your knees and praying, if you could, and get back up. That you'd get on your knees and pray. I hope you did that. I hope you took that practice. I want, you, I want you to do something this week for me. In your quiet time or your time alone with God, I want you to take a sheet of paper, and I want you to write every adjective, adverb, anything you can think of that is a description of Almighty God. I want you to write that down. Who is he and what is he to you? And what has he proven out to be? And you'll find out that whenever these angels are doing it, every time I told you, every doxology revelation gets to be more and more. One, there was like three, and the next was four statements, and then six statements, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And the more you come to know about God and progressively grab hold of God, the more you ought to be able to praise Him and thank Him. Take a sheet of paper and write down every adjective, adverb, or anything you might think that would describe who God is. And then after you write those things down, I want you to go back over them. I want you to just say them to God. God, I know that you're faithful. God, I know that you're loving. I know that you're kind. I know you're full of mercy. I know you're full of grace. And just keep saying it over 
and over again. And you know what you might have uh, experienced? You might have a sense of the presence of God in an awesome way because that's what's being said and is con- going to continuously be said at the throne of God. Wouldn't it be neat that God just, in, in a spiritual sense, just moves us to the throne? <laughs> he moves, moves us in the throne room, and, and we're getting ready. Amen? We're getting ready for what it's going to be at the throne. For the angels are teaching us. The angels reveal to us what we're supposed to be doing. And, and man, when they hear about the salvation, when they hear about the salvation of God, redeeming lost people, showing mercy to multitudes, grabbing and reaching out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, reaching out and seeing that person redeemed, they are overwhelmed at the goodness and greatness of God. We ought to be as well. Something happens. Look what happens here. One of the elders, you remember those elders, one of those elders comes, and remember the elders, there's 24 elders, and we believe that represents the Old Testament believers, those who believed in faith in the Old Testament, that's 12, and the other 12 represents those 12 apostles who are the New Testament believers, but all these elders, are the 24 elders represent all the believers of both dispensations, Old Testament and New Testament. But one of those 24 elders comes and has a conversation and asks John something. That's what it says. Verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? Have you ever been asked a question that you had no idea what the answer was? You know, have you ever been asked that question? And somebody just poses that question. I mean, it's not like they ask the whole group, and you're just part of the group, and so everybody doesn't know. Have you ever had somebody ask you specifically a question right to you, and you have no idea? Well, that's what happened to John. One of these elders came to him, and he said, You see all this multitude? You see all of these who are, who are, who are dressed up in white robes? Who are standing before the throne of God. Do you know who they are John? Do you know who they are? And do you know where they came from? Well that tells us something to start with. First of all. If, if it had been people that would have been in, in John's day. If it had been believers of John's time. If it had been in the church age. He might have known some of those wouldn't he? I mean, he might have recognized some of those disciples that would have been in that group with him. He, he might say, yeah, there's old Matthew over there, and I, I see Peter over there. I recognize a few. I don't know all of them, but I see some of them. He could have recognized some. But does John recognize them? No, look what it says in verse 14. And I said to him, my Lord, you know. Now, you know what that means? <laughs> it's what it means. I don't have a clue. I I don't know. That's what John said. I don't know who they are. I don't recognize any of them. I have no idea who they are or where they came from. I cannot answer. But one thing I do know is that you, you know, you know, you, you wouldn't be asking me if you didn't know, but you know who they are. And he does. For when John says, I don't know, my Lord You know, he said to me, these are the ones who come out. You underline this. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Did you hear that? 
There are going to be those answering that question of 617. There are going to be those who come out of the great tribulation. There are going to be people who are going to be saved in the midst of the great tribulation, not just Jews. There are going to be people who are saved of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. There are going to be a multitude of people who are going to be saved during that great tribulation, and now they've been cut, they've brought, been brought out of the great tribulation. And they've washed their robes, and they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These have been redeemed. They have been redeemed. Well, I've told you before, you might say, well, well, if that's true, that some people get saved out of the great tribulation, then I just think I'll live my life, do what I want to. And if the rapture happens and I happen to be left here, then I, then I think what I'll do is I'll just get saved during the great tribulation. Well, go back and read in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and find out about what's going to be happening to those people who get saved. You know what's going to happen? Most people are going to be saved who are not sealed by the Spirit of God, like those 144,000. Whenever they get saved, it's going to cost them their lives. It's going to be a horrible experience. It's going to be martyrs everywhere. The Antichrist and the whole world system that's set up against it are going to be trying to wipe out every witness they can. They'd wipe out the 144,000, except that God has sealed them, protected them, and they can't touch them. But for everybody else, they can be martyred. And there in chapter 6, when it talks about that fifth seal, it talks about those martyrs who have died in the midst of the great tribulation. And they're saying, we have died. Our blood has been shed because of our faith. And Lord, when are you going to do something about it? And the Lord says, just be patient because there are others yet to be redeemed. And after that, then the judgment will come. So it's not going to be an easy task and an easy time for anybody to be saved in the great tribulation versus today when it's the day of grace. The day of opportunity when people celebrate with you because you give your heart to Christ. But once again, I say to you, once again, I remind you that I personally believe that people who hear the gospel and have had the opportunity based on Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, in his writing, he specifically says, if someone has rejected the gift of God, if they rejected the opportunity to be saved, Whenever they received that invitation and they rejected it, then whenever it comes and the Holy Spirit departs from there and the rapture takes place, and in the midst of the great tribulation that they will not respond for they will have a deluded spirit. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that if you've heard the gospel, I don't mean heard it by a preacher, but I mean you've heard the gospel spoken to your heart. It's a big difference to hear the gospel spoken by a preacher or somebody tell you, But to hear the gospel spoken to your heart and you know that conviction of God is on your life and you know that the reality of that is upon your heart and you reject that. And I believe the word of God teaches that you will not have the opportunity to be saved and that this multitude of this great multitude of every nation, every tongue, that that it's not going to be those who've already heard. It's going to be people who have never heard. And now they've had the opportunity to hear and they will be saved and they will be brought out of the great tribulation because they've washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. What are they going to be doing? What's their responsibility whenever they get to heaven? Look at verse 15. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. 
And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. If you'll notice in the Revelation, it gives everybody different responsibilities for what's happening. The 24 elders, and that's supposed to be the church in the, in the Old Testament era, they were placed on smaller thrones. You remember that? And they're going to have the opportunity, we're going to have the opportunity to join in sharing on the, the rulership and leadership of God's creation. Now, I don't know, that's kind of scary when I think about some of us being rulers and, and being a part of the rulership of God's creation. But that's what it says is going to happen. But when it comes to these believers who come out of the great tribulation, it doesn't say anything about them being on a throne. But it says rather they are going to be serving in and before the throne or in and before the temple of God. Their role is that they are servants before God. And that's one of the reasons that they have the palm branches in their hand. The palm branch was an instrument that a servant would use. A servant would use that palm branch to cool off his master, to lay before his master in order for them to walk so that the road would not be rough on their feet, much as when Jesus came in on the triumphal entry, what they lay? They laid the palm branches down because they wanted to make his way straight and easy for this one who's the Messiah, who's the King of Kings. But the thing that's in their hand is not a golden scepter. The thing that's in their hand is a palm branch whereby they are going to be servants before the throne of God and before the temple of God. But what is Jesus going to do for them? Look what it says. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. He spreads his tabernacle over them. He's now going to take a position of overseeing and protecting them in all things. And look what all he's going to do for them. They shall hunger no more. What does that tell you? That more than likely in the midst of the great tribulation, whenever they do get saved and whenever you'll find out later, they refuse the mark of the beast. When they refuse the mark of the beast, what's, what's that going to mean? They're not going to be able to buy any food. They're not going to be able to carry on business. All those kind of things are going to take place later. They're going to have some tough times. They're going to be hungry. Most of us know nothing about being hungry. He says, they, they shall hunger no more. They shall neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. The sun beating down a picture is it's a picture of difficult times and hardship and tribulation that would come upon them. Have you ever been in the hot sun and been beat down by the hot sun? And you're trying to find some relief in a shade or trying to find some relief somewhere? It's the idea of persecution and pain and agony. You're not going to be hungry anymore. You're not going to be thirsty anymore. You're not going to have any pain and agony in your life anymore. I'm going to take care of that is what God says. Look what he said, verse 17. For the lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd. He shall be their shepherd. That means that, that Psalm 23 that so many of us think is so special and precious to us because it says the Lord is my shepherd and the rest of the psalm is all what the shepherd does for us. He says the Lord is my shepherd and he says I will be their shepherd. I'm going to do everything that I would do for any. I'm going to do for them. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to guide them. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to, whatever needs to be done. The Lamb of God is going to be that for them. Look what else it says. And I shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'm going to lead them to the good waters. 
But I'm going to wipe away every tear. They've had reason to cry. They've had reason to shed their tears. But now that they are home and now that they are in heaven and now that they're before the throne, the Lamb of God is going to wipe away every tear. Isn't it going to be great in the fact that there's going, when, whenever Jesus wipes away our tears, there's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more reason for tears in heaven. And he's going to do that. Answering the question of what? Who can be saved? Not just 144,000 Jews. Who can be saved? Multitude without number from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. People who have heard the gospel and heard about Jesus in the midst of the horrible great tribulation. But Jesus is reaching down and redeeming them and they are being saved even though it cost them their lives. I think that one of the most exciting things about this passage to me has to do with Matthew 24, 14. I want you to turn there for just a minute. Matthew 24, 14. I believe in the Word of God this is the fulfillment of what Jesus said whenever he was giving his Olivet Discourse and he made this statement. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. That's what Jesus said. Now, I want to read it again. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to who? To all the nations. And then the end shall come. See, my friend... I believe this is a picture of what happens and what says is happening in chapter 7 in that interlude. Because it talks about that there will be multitudes from every nation who will be saved. Now, in, in our church era, in, in what we're doing right now, you'll hear people say, we need to get out there and share the gospel with every nation because every nation is going to hear the gospel before Jesus comes. And so when we get every nation hearing the gospel, then Jesus will come. Well, let me tell you something. I think the church needs to be out there sharing the gospel with everybody. Amen. I think the gospel is for everybody. I think we need to be busy doing our task and doing everything we can to see every nation, every tribe, every tongue hear the gospel of Christ. But I don't believe that that's fulfilled before the rapture of the church. I believe that when it says, and the end shall come, it's talking about the second coming of Christ. That's after the tribulation time. And, And I believe where it says that, in this time before the end happens, is going to be in that tribulation period. When these 144,000 anointed Jews go all over this world sharing the gospel of Christ. But let me tell you something. I believe, I believe there's a picture that's here that's even more precious than you could imagine. Because I believe what we're going to have is we're going to have a repeat and expansion of Pentecost. A repeat and expansion of Pentecost. Let me tell you why. This past week I was visiting with somebody and they told me about they'd had a chance to go to Washington and they saw the Museum of the Bible. I've been to Washington, Smithsonian, but I haven't, that's new, I haven't been able to see. And they said, you need to make sure you go to the Bible Museum up there. And and I'm putting that on my bucket list to get to see the Bible Museum. But in our conversation together, they told me about a particular room in that museum. A particular room in that museum has every 
the Bible that's been translated, the New Testament, any part of the Bible been translated in any language, there's a picture of that language in that part of the Bible in each of those languages that it's been translated in. And there's literally hundreds of languages that the Bible's been translated in. But they said that for every, there would be all over these walls, there were yellow plaques. Yellow plaques with names, the names of tribes or nations or something. And those yellow plaques represented all of the countries, all the tribes, all the people groups who are yet to have the Bible translated in their language. And there are literally hundreds of yellow plaques all over the walls in that room of the museum. Which means that those people, those groups of people, have never been able to read the Word of God in their language They've never been able to read the Word of God in their language. So how are they going, how are they going to hear the gospel? How is every person going to hear? It's going to be a repeat and expansion of Pentecost. What do I mean by that? They have Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. What happened? The Holy Spirit came upon the church and sealed the church. And as he sealed the church, what happened? They began to speak in languages that they did not know. All those Jews, many of them uneducated. Remember, they were fishermen. They didn't know anything about They began to speak in languages they did not know so that all the Jews who were gathered there at Pentecost could hear the gospel in their own language. Those men did not know that language, but God, after he sealed them and anointed them, He gave to them the ability to communicate with people they didn't know the language so they could hear the gospel in their own language. What I believe happens in the Great Tribulation is I believe there's the repeat of that and the the expansion of that. Why? Because the same thing's going to happen to those 144,000 just as the church was sealed at Pentecost. It says those 144,000 are going to be sealed a possession of God, protection by God, but empowered by God. And I believe those 144,000 are going to be able to go to nations and tribes and people who've never heard the Word of God, never heard it in their language, and these people are going to have the ability to communicate with them in a language they do not know so that every nation, every tribe, Every people, every language will hear the gospel. Not only hear the gospel, someone from that group will respond to the gospel. For see, Jesus is all-inclusive, amen? (laughs) Some people criticize us Christians. You Christians are exclusive. Y'all think you're the only ones going to heaven. That's right. But we're also inclusive because Jesus includes everybody. And everybody, whosoever will, may come. Everybody's invited to come. And there in Revelation 7, it says there's going to be at least one person from every group, every people group, who's going to be standing there because they've accepted the gospel. They've accepted what the Lamb of God did. It's going to be a miraculous thing. But I believe that's what's going to happen. I believe that's what it's going to be. And then we'll get to see that multitude. Remember, we're the elders. We're sitting there. We get to see that multitude coming. Amen? From every tribe, every tongue.
But for us, today is the day of, day of salvation. Amen? Today's the opportunity to be saved, and you need to get saved today if you don't know Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. He's the greatest friend you'll ever have, the only Savior there's ever been, the only one who's ever died on the cross and offered you the opportunity of being saved, and he did that for you. If you don't know him today, you need to give your heart to Jesus. You know, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you need to be talking to them about Jesus. Amen? Encourage them to give their heart today to Christ to respond in this day of opportunity. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.